Welcome to New City Sermon Podcast. Join us as we open God's Word to be empowered and challenged today. So crazy, I had this moment of panic where I wasn't actually sure that I got the anniversary, the right anniversary of the church. Like I was like, I told everyone it was five years, but I think we're actually four years old. So I, because I think because COVID has been such a weird thing, I was like, did we have a fourth anniversary? I remember our first and our second, but I'm not sure I remember our third or our fourth. So I had to do the math real quick, and I was like, thank goodness we are five. I printed everything saying we're five. If we had been four years old, oh my goodness, wow. Well, um, we're going to be in in Romans chapter 16 today. We've been doing some stuff through Romans in our F260. And Romans 16 is an interesting passage. It's kind of a unique passage because uh, a lot of people, when they study Romans, they just skip over it. They don't really know what to do with Romans chapter 16 because it feels very different than the rest of the the book. Uh, Romans 1 through 15 is very theological, very deep and very rich. And then Romans 16, like Paul just lists a bunch of people's names and says, hey, tell them I said hi, tell them I said what's up. And people don't really know what to do with that. Um, But maybe, maybe it would help us to think about that um, in terms of furniture. And here's what I mean. Uh, When we moved in this building four years ago, we we cleaned these blue chairs. They had been used by the church that had been in here before us, and they needed a good cleaning. There was like candle wax and stuff from their Christmas Eve services. And and they're nice chairs. I mean, they're comfortable, right? Uh, They do squeak a little bit. You know, if you get up and try and use the restroom, you hear that and you get embarrassed and like you can kind of hear the squeaking going on. So they're not, they're not amazing chairs, but they are good chairs. And it's great to see everyone in these chairs this morning because part of our mission is to come and worship Jesus. And you worship Jesus while we're in these chairs together. Um, But sitting in this chair for an hour or an hour and a half on Sunday morning is not really the culmination of what it means to be a Christian. In other words, being in this chair just for a little sliver of our week, that's not really what Christianity is all about. It's part of it. But Christianity is so much more than the hour that we spend in this chair. And I was thinking about it, and I, and I think that really if we're going to talk about a piece of furniture that represents our faith, rather than a chair, it would be much better to think of a table, a, a family table. Uh, because at a table... You're not seeing the back of people's heads. You're face-to-face, right? You're sharing food. You're conversing. You're talking. It is a shared experience. In fact, Max Licato says, in a church auditorium, you see the backs of heads. Around the table, you see the expressions on faces. In the auditorium, one person speaks. Around the table, everyone has a voice. Church services are on the clock, where around the table there is time to talk. As we look at Romans chapter 16, we're going to be challenged to think about how we think about church. Do we think about church more as this chair that we sit in by ourselves as we worship together, which is part of it, it's part of our vision, or is church really about a family table where we sit together? Maybe that is realistically sitting together each week, eating meals, but maybe it's a metaphor for sharing our lives, for for knowing each other intimately, for being together and conversing together. 
Let's read Romans chapter 16, verses 1 through 16. And, and even as I read, see what pops out to you in this passage of Scripture. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church in Centrea. So you should welcome her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever, she may re- in whatever matter she may require your help. For indeed, she has been a benefactor of many and also of me. Give my greetings to Prissa and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their own necks for my life. Not only do I thank them, but so do all the Gentile churches. Greet also the church that meets in their home. Greet my dear friend Eponidas, who is the first convert to Christ from Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews and fellow prisoners. They are noteworthy in the eyes of the apostles, and they were also in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend Statius. Greet Apellus, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those who belong to the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, who have worked hard in the Lord. Greet my, den- fr- my dear friend Persis, who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and also his mother and mine. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermas, and the brothers and sisters who are with them. Greet Philogus and Julia, Nerus and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send you greetings. The word of God. I mean, the first thing we notice is there's just a lot of names, right? Uh, Eponidas, Mary, Junia, Urbanus, Olympus. You were patient with me as I tried to go through those names, but a a vast variety of people. And one of the interesting things is they're not all alike. Really, this is a blended family of diverse people. You'll notice that Paul says there's a couple Jewish people there and also someone who was a convert from Asia. So he was the first Asian convert to Christ. But there's also men and women in this list in the Roman church. And not only that, if we dig a little bit, we think that there are people who are both very wealthy, like they're high politically, but also there are people who are mentioned who are servants in households. And yet, though they're different, though they have different backgrounds, they have something in common, and that's the gospel. Their identity is in the gospel. You know, what's interesting is that Paul not only mentions their name, but almost every time he mentions them, he uses this phrase, in the Lord, or in Jesus Christ, or in Christ. He says that 11 times. And it's not just a theological term or or something convenient that he's throwing out. It means something. It means something about who each of these people are, that their relationship is with Jesus Christ, and that relationship with Jesus is their identity. They are in a covenant with God through what Jesus has done on their behalf. And each of their statuses has eternally changed. And I love that Paul doesn't just say, hey, all y'all, y'all are in Christ. He actually says, 
this person is in Christ, and that person's in Jesus, and this person knows Christ Jesus. Every person, he takes the time to say, here's who you are, here's what your identity is, you are in Jesus Christ, and you have a new status before God, and therefore you are welcome to his table. You're welcome to his table. Because you're in Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. Because you're in Jesus Christ, the Father loves you. Because you're in Christ Jesus, you are children of God. Because of Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus died for you, you're part of the family of God, and you're welcome to God's family table. But then did you also notice that he uses the word saints a couple times? Saints. Now, we either think that's the football team or Christians who are like amazing Christians, right? But that's not what it means at all. Saints simply means holy ones. And if you notice, when Paul uses that language, he uses it about everybody. Everybody in the Roman church is a saint. They're a holy one. Not because of their behavior, but because of their identity in the gospel. They have been set apart as God's holy one. They have been made holy because Jesus went to the cross and took their unholiness on himself. So their sins were forgiven and they were declared righteous and therefore they are purified. They're not elite. The saints aren't elite. These are regular folk. In fact, in all the people we listed here, I don't think there's actually someone who's an ordained pastor according to the way I read this. I think these are all just regular church members and yet Paul says, you all are saints. Their identity is in the gospel. We are set apart together. We are holy ones. We are in Christ. That is our identity before God. And so then we have to ask the question, is that the way we see each other? See, too often we don't see ourselves as together, set apart for God, set apart by his love, set apart for his purposes. Rather, we see ourselves as set apart from each other. And so we don't share the table. We don't share the table with each other. In fact, that's what actually was happening in the church in Rome. If you go back just two chapters, you see that these people were actually fighting at the table. They disagreed on what foods to eat. They disagreed on who was a little bit closer to God, and it brought conflict into the church. And Paul says the answer isn't necessarily to work through all the conflict The answer is to see that your identity is together in Jesus Christ. Your identity is in the gospel. And so that makes us ask a couple questions. First of all, are you even at the table yet? Like when you think about Christianity, do you think about it just as this chair that you sit in for an hour? Or do you see yourself as sharing your life with other people who are in Christ Maybe it's literally over a meal every week, but at the very least, what does it mean for you to go, I have Christ in me and you have Christ in you and we're different. And yet at the same time, we're drawn together to sit at this table of God. Are you at the table? But then how do you see other people at the table? There are so many ways that we're tempted to categorize each other and make that each other's primary identity. Just turn on talk news. And you'll hear all the different ways that our country is divided. 
And yet the church isn't a special interest group. It's not for a specific people who are in a certain life stage. It's not for people who have a certain cultural or political perspective. It is a kingdom family of every tribe and tongue and nation and cultural background and age. A family in Jesus together, saved by the Son, sitting at the table of God with with Jesus at the head seat, welcoming us all together. See, too often I think we see that table as, rather than a covenant, something that God has committed himself to bring us in on, a promise that we're welcomed into. We see our relationship with each other as like a contract. And a contract is, are you like me? Then I'll hang around you. Are you good to me? then I'll be good to you. But that's not what the church is at all. We don't operate on a contract because if we operated on a contract, we would be in trouble because God does not operate contractually with us. When we fail him, he doesn't back out of the negotiations. He is 110% in 110% of the time. He is a God who makes promises to us and keeps them. And therefore we make promises to each other and we keep them. We don't treat each other based on failure or performance because God does not treat us that way. And sure, the family table gets awkward at times. We're weird people. We are strange. But the moment you experience someone else who's weird, it's not time to get up and leave the table. It's time to remember that they are in Christ with you. None of us deserve to be seated at the table. And yet all of us are welcomed. Because of Jesus' sacrifice for us. Because of Jesus' sacrifice. And that's really the second thing we see besides gospel identity. We see a gospel sacrifice and service among all these names. The verse, uh, verse 1 starts off with Phoebe. And Paul says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church in Chintria. Now, we believe that Paul handed the book of Romans to Phoebe. And she traveled to Rome with the letter to put it in the leader's hands of the Roman church. Paul says that she's a servant. She's sacrificial. She puts God's people in the gospel before herself. But what's interesting about Phoebe is I think, I think Phoebe had a little money. Because Paul goes on to say in the next couple of verses that she's been a benefactor to many. And what that means is Phoebe's not afraid to write some checks. Now, don't worry, I'm not going to spin this and turn it into tithing or anything like that. But, but here's the thing. Phoebe had money, and she was willing to fund ministries for the gospel because she was a servant. She was sacrificial. She saw what Jesus had done for her, and so she not only served the church with her actions, but she wrote checks to fund ministry. And so Paul says, when she comes to you guys, serve her because she's a servant of the church. But then Paul goes on and talks about Prissa and Aquila. Now, Prissa, other places Paul calls her Priscilla, Priscilla and Aquila. Priscilla was the wife, Aquila was a husband. We think that Priscilla might have had some sort of status. Uh, She might have been wealthy as well or something. That's the reason she comes before her husband in names. But Paul calls them co-workers. They're my co-workers in the gospel. They're, They're with me. And then he says this, they risked their neck for me. Now, we think this might have something to do with Paul when he was in Ephesus and he got in major trouble and almost got killed and somehow they stepped in and they put their life trajectory 
on the line. They, they put themselves in a position where their life could be altered for the worse in order to save Paul. They sacrificed, and it meant a lot to Paul. They risked their necks for me. But it wasn't just a one-time major event that they did that was sacrificial. It says, Paul writes, that, that they are hosting the Roman church in their home. So like week in and week out, not only have they done this great action for Paul, but week in and week out, they're welcoming people in their home. Hospitality, the sacrifice of hospitality. But then Paul goes on and just talks about these people. He says that they're hard workers. He mentions Mary, who has worked very hard for you. And then there's Tryphena and Tryphosa, who have worked hard in the Lord. Now we think that Tryphena and Tryphosa were actually twin women, like they were twins. It makes sense because their names are, the, are, are similar, and it's a feminine name, and those words in the Greek actually mean dainty and delicate. So the Bible doesn't say this, but I kind of like to picture them as the, these two twin women at church that like really dressed up to the nines, but yet like even in their stilettos, they're working hard for the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa who worked hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis who has worked very hard in the Lord. Now, that, what's in that word that they've worked hard for the Lord is this idea of working to the point of toiling, like hitting a wall and then to continue to push to the point where you're going tired and you're a little bit weary. It's sacrifice. It's serving and sacrifice for the gospel, for God's people, for the church, giving yourself for the gospel and for each other. And it's good for us to ask, is it okay to sacrifice? Is it okay to work hard? Is it okay to even grow a little bit weary serving each other, serving the gospel, serving the church? Now, I know if I was honest, I'm like, man, I'm, I'm a little tired myself. <laughs> and I know some of you are tired. Now, I'm not talking about emotional unhealth. I'm not talking about you're only good enough if you serve. What I am talking about is sometimes we don't want the church to ever make us uncomfortable. Sometimes we don't want to commit because we want to have our life open and free and we don't want to ever have to sacrifice something. But here what Paul is showing us is, you know what? If you're serving the church and it gets a little bit hard and at times you're a little bit tired, it's okay. That's normal. Now, if you need a rest, take a rest. Don't hear, you, you don't hear me guilting you into anything. And at the same time, we're called to serve one another. And serving one another is an act of sacrifice, and sometimes sacrifice is hard. If we think about the family table, as we come to the family table, the point isn't only to be served, but to bring something to that table to serve others, right? If everyone comes to the table goes, where's the food? Uh, <laughs> there's no food. Everyone's got to bring something. Well, you might ask the question, is it worth it? You know, is, is serving each other worth it? Because it's hard. It gets tiring. It's emotionally, it costs something emotionally. You know, I think about 18 months ago when COVID first hit, and we had just set up a very basic audio-visual system, a camera that projected the video into the cry room so moms could go in there. And we realized, wow, that's not going to cut it online. The one camera we had, everyone was like really blurry on the screen. You couldn't see who it was. And so... Dave and Marcia and some other people said, you know, we need, to, we need to up this up. We need to do something to get online so that our people can stay connected with our church. And so 
Dave and Marsha and some other people came in and like built that sound booth and installed cameras and like figured out what programs we needed. Guys, it was hard work. It was hard work that they did. Yeah, we can clap for them. And during that time, uh, Chris Jordan was looking for a church to watch online. And he stumbled across New City Fellowship on Facebook. And he started watching us every week. And then he got in touch with his son and said, hey, I, I, I found this little church in Hollywood that I like watching. Why don't you come over and watch it with me? Fast forward, months and months and months later, Chris Jordan, Nat, Cindy, their family is here this morning. <laughs> Chris is serving sacrificially on the welcome team. That's like the first person here every Sunday opening the door. He texts me and he's like, are you here yet? I want to get in the building and start setting up. Is it worth it? God uses our acts of service to grow his kingdom, to serve the church. Not only that, I think about, about four years ago, I remember sitting in my office and I got this Facebook message from this woman. I had no idea who she was. She, she found our church online and she just wrote me this really intense message and she said, listen, my brother just was killed in gang violence. Like, I need to find a church. And I was like, whoa, okay. Um, well, the next thing we have is the women's Christmas party this week. And I was like, maybe this isn't the best entry point for her because she's really having a tough time. But I don't know what else to do. So I kind of got in touch with my wife and I just said, hey, this woman might show up. Can you make sure that the ladies there make her feel welcome? like that they're willing to move a little bit open and so that she can come in and be part of the group. And she showed up. Candy Flores showed up that night. And over the next couple months, <laughs> over the next couple months, her faith in Jesus ignited. And she came to me in a couch. We were sitting down on a couch in that room and she goes, several months later, she goes, I'm ready. I said, ready for what? She said, I'm ready to give my life to Christ. And a few Sundays later, she was baptized. Is it worth it? God uses our service and our efforts in ways that we cannot measure or imagine. God uses it. And that, when we serve one another, friends, it doesn't come out of a, a drudgery. It comes out of this affection that we have for each other in the gospel. Like, what's our heart towards each other at the table? Well, you, you look at Paul, 18 times in this passage, he uses the word greet. Now, I'm a concise person, so I would have just said, hey, greet everybody. There, you know, that's easier. But Paul goes one by one and says, greet this person and greet this person. Oh, make sure you greet that person. Make sure and greet this person because he has a gospel affection for each person. And I love that he knows their names because sometimes as pastors, we struggle to remember people's names, right? Because we're learning so many names. And the little secret that we have is we just call you brother or sister if we forget. So forgive me if that happens. I'm working on being like Paul, but I love that Paul is willing to greet 18 different times, most of them by name. I, I love that he says, greet Rufus's mom. She's my mom too. And then I love the most that he calls four different people dear friends. What, what's hidden in that word is the word agape, which means beloved. Greet my beloved. 
That's really what the table's about, isn't it? Being the beloved of God together. It makes me think about at Jesus' baptism when he was baptized by John the Baptist and the heavens open up and the light came down and a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Friends, we are part of that table of love. We are the beloved of Christ. We are the beloved of God. We are the apple of his eye. We are the ones that he loves And as we begin to understand that we have received the love of God in Christ, it ignites our hearts for one another that we could see each other as the beloved. Isn't that amazing? Friends, gospel identity, gospel sacrifice, gospel affection. Thank you for listening to New City Sermon Podcast. For more information, check us out at www.newcityhh.com. We'll see you next week.